You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to my conversation with Adam Feldman. I'm Tanya Pinkins on You Can't Say That. And we're going to go in a little deeper on U.S. politics, Canadian politics, and Carolina change. What do you think of Parasite? Still haven't seen it. Okay. Um, but do you like the South Korean storytelling? Because they do some storytelling that is I hear Parasite, way out I there. hear Parasite was great. I had my best Oscar prognostication year ever this year. I got like 23 categories right. Uh, 22. And you know, and you knew Parasite was going to win even well, yeah, though you'd I, never I, seen you know, it. I think I did well because I hadn't seen almost any of the movies. <laughs> That's the so truth. You just went for the movies I that were being talked about. I was feeling out the buzz. I was feeling out the buzz. And I was, yeah, I was putting myself into the perspective of the generic Oscar mood. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and when you see the actual things, then it's ruined because you have your own opinions on them. You mm-hmm. think, oh, but that was so good. That should win. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not how it works. Parasite was so good. It should win. Yeah, that's what I've heard. It anyway, wasn't in, nothing else was even in I, I see too much theater. And so I've been falling behind on movies a little bit. I tend to see them later on when they come to TV. And it's spring now and you're going into theater hell uh, season. Yeah. I was a Tony voter for three years and it made me hate theater. It's, I was never so happy as when I was done with that. It's insane. Well, over the, we're, we're, we're recording this in early March. Uh, I will spend the next seven weeks seeing six shows. Six shows, six, 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 six shows a week. Six shows a week. <laughs> the sixth, six sheiks, six sheeps, sick. Well, you should see eight since eight are done a week. Right. Uh, no, I mean, I, I mean, at least at least six a week. And by the okay. end of that, I will be seeing as many as eight. I'll be seeing matinees on, on, on weekends. Sometimes they have, you know, I, and then cabaret shows. And like, I, I will be very tired at the, because they cram 40% of the Broadway season into the last six weeks. Right. Exactly. And, um, I understand why they do that, but it is not ideal. And when you're seeing that, then you're missing all this amazing off and off Broadway stuff that's being done. Right, because the off Broadway seasons are also in the middle of their their best right. times, and so I will end up seeing those because I vote for awards and things like that. I won't review them, but I will see them. Those are among the shows that I'll be seeing. But uh, but it's too much. It's too much, and it's an effort. You know, if you if you see that much theater, it's an effort to remember. First of all, it's an effort to, to stay open and stay enthusiastic about it and hold on to the magic that got you into it for the, in the right. first place. But also to remember that most people don't see nearly that much theater. If you're only writing for theater obsessives uh, who are going to see everything anyway, then it doesn't matter. Right. You have to be writing in part for the for real people. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and real people see a show maybe if they like theater a lot, 
they see a show maybe every couple months. Right. Um, and if they're an ordinary person, they'd see one every few years. You know, or they visit New York and they and they see one Broadway show and they want it to. And they want it to be Lion King. Yeah. And why wouldn't, I mean, Lion King is a gorgeous show. Yeah. Um, and Lion King holds up really, I just, oh my God, I had the craziest experience at the Lion King. Really? Yeah. What was it? Well, I mean, I saw the Lion King when it opened and I was just, you know, I was blown away. Really? Yeah. I was away. not. I, but, okay. I absolutely was. I mean, it's a weird compromise show because you have half of it that's just this Disney, you know, uh, Extravaganza theme park show with the pe- people right. dressed in big character costumes, and then you have this other half that's just mind-blowingly beautiful. Um, and so it's always been a weird mix of that. But uh, but I've always, I mean, I think it really delivers the goods. I think if you want a big Broadway spectacle that that elevates itself beyond just a Broadway, you spectacle, don't think it destroys one of the greatest stories in the world? No, it's Hamlet. Doesn't it, it borrows from Hamlet, but it's not Jack's not doing Hamlet. Oh, it's Hamlet for me, and I was like, "How did you take Hamlet it's like and half turn Hamlet it into this?" And half Henry Ford, like it's it's, it's a <laughs> bunch of you know, it's like it's the Prince's journey. It's a it's a lot of different things, but it's uh, I I don't I don't love the the story of the movie that much. Maybe that's why I don't mind that it's changed so much in mm. the, in the stage version. Um, I think that ultimately, if you look if you take it seriously, it's basically this kind of. Divine right of kings, mm. very conservative, you know, with your weird queer uncle. Yes, yeah, that, the that was not going to be my cup of tea. No, no. <laughs> so I mean, that, that's not that's not a hundred percent for me. Um, but uh, but I think that the staging of it is just—it's very beautiful, breathtaking. I anyway. also, though, as an artist, I take umbrage with anybody who directs things where actors' careers get destroyed get by. Hurt. Yeah, I, I just I can't like that. I can't like anything that it, it that that the artistry is not considering the artists who have to do it. That's fair, uh, but anyway, I went back to see it for the first time in twenty years or whatever. Ooh. You know, I went back to see it for their twentieth anniversary. And did it hold up? It, it did. I mean, it looks great. Although it was just an amazing experience because it was this huge reunion anniversary. Oh, they brought people back. Yeah, they, they, there was no there were no civilians in the audience. <gasps> Everyone in the audience was a. Uh, an industry person or mostly an alum of one of the produ- international that sounds productions. amazing so it was like it's 1800 whatever it is so you know 1800 people 1700 people however many people fit in Minskoff. um and everyone was there elton john was there he did an encore he's like you know it, it it was crazy but it was partly crazy because first of all there were no children in the audience right it was all they'd all grown up. It was all adults. <laughs> it was all adults, and it was all adults who knew the show extremely well, and and they were all just screaming the whole time. So, <laughs> so Circle of Life, you couldn't hear a word. Oh, so like could, they could have been singing. I know some of it is not in English, but they could have, the entire thing could have been uh, that she could she could have just been singing a total nonsense, and it wouldn't have mattered because you could not hear a word. Because everyone, as soon as like. The cheetahs would come out like everyone who had played a cheetah. Look, like, that's my track. And then, like it, it was extraordinary, at, but it was deafening. Yeah. Um, and but it was exciting. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was one of those rare moments. I had been at the record-breaking performance that Phantom had when it took over from Cats as the longest-running show yes. of all time, and that was nice. You know, that was an elegant, lovely, you know, a cat came out at the end, gave a rose to the phantom, and it was, you know, uh, it was very decorous. But it wasn't this kind of excitement and madness. See, you get to have experiences that very few people ever get to have, That's getting to attend true. things. like. Do you write about that, or is it just you get the privilege of attending? In, in those cases, I did write about the phantom one, which did not 
I don't think the Phantom people liked very much. Um, <laughs> Because I have mixed feelings about Phantom. But I'm glad yeah. that it existed. I mean... It, yeah, Phantom was one of those ones that's like, I'll never see another British show again. Uh, no. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I'm glad it exists. Lord knows it's given a lot of people a lot of work and made a lot of people a lot of money. And people want to see it. God bless. You know? Um, it's not really my kind of show. Mine neither. Um, but uh, I like Lion King more. <laughs> um, I'm like, I can see Lion King over and over and I will still gasp at the stagecraft in at least mm. four or five of the sequences, yeah. you know, and that, it, that makes it a, uh, that makes it a night that I will. I'm no, it's beautiful. Yeah. It is beautiful. Um, and, you know, I don't know, there's some, there's some shows, I mean, jaded as I am, when I like a show, I, I will throw myself into it. I saw, again, I saw Caroline so many times. I, I saw Hamilton so many times. I've I seen saw, Hamilton 13 times. <laughs> Have I beat you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I've seen it four or five times, and okay. I and I and I've listened to the cast album. You know, I saw Natasha Pierre in the Great Conversation. I love 12, that as like well. Five. We have similar times. tastes. We just can't agree on we the Lion King, but we have. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so wait a minute. Time out. Yeah. You're writing for a specific audience. It's definitely not the audience that is the New York Times, correct? Uh, well, it's related to that audience. I don't think it's entirely different. It's. Um, What's nice about writing for Time Out is that Time Out has a brief, and Time Out is for people who are looking to find things to do in the city and who are actively engaged in the process of finding that stuff. They want to see the best stuff. They want to be in on the coolest new thing, and they and that's a good audience to be writing for. Um, if you're writing for, you know, if you're writing for the Daily News, uh, then people might flip through your review on their way to the sports pages and Correct. that's great, but it's not as motivated. Right. They're coming to you They're to coming go, to tell us. me what's hot. Right. And I think that's one reason why the daily news and the post sort of dropped their full-time theater critics at a certain mm. point because they weren't really destinations for that. Mm. Um, and the daily news now, Chris Jones, who's from the Chicago Tribune is now writing reviews for the daily news and that's great. Uh, and the post for big shows will, will have, you know, one of their entertainment reporters uh, write about it. But, they don't have a devoted slot for it anymore. Um, we do because we are, to some extent, a, a destination for And it's for that. internationally, so it's, there's time out in many places. Right, so. but the theater's extremely local, um, obviously. Uh, although Broadway theater commands a huge tourist audience. But there's time out London. Oh, no, right, but but they're writing about London theater. You know, right, it's right, not right. Like, uh, right, but I'm saying you know time out from London. You know when you come to New York, right. you go to time out. That's your source for where. what do I see? Right, it has been, and we've been here for 20 plus years and uh, we have a certain reputation, I think, uh, that we've been able to maintain for guiding people to the right thing. I'm not being compensated by Time Out for this particular plug, nor by the Tourist Board of Montreal. Um, but but yeah, I think, so it's, it's a privilege to write for, for that audience because you know that people are paying attention. It's a smaller audience than, than some other audiences, uh, but it's a motivated audience. You know, um, mm -hmm. we have people, the people who read it care about about seeing good theater. And so I always wonder, like for me, I have a kind of rule, you know, silly rules, but it's like, if it's a times out critics pick, I'm not going. <laughs> time, uh, time out critics pick? Not yours, New York Times critics oh, pick. Oh, New York Times critics New York pick. Times Thank critics you. pick. I was like, oh, I'm not that's going. A no, 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 not yours. to say to my oh, face? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, New York Times critics pick, I just go like they bought that. No, I don't think that's true. I, I, it, it feels I, that way to me. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I think they're doing the best they can. I don't always agree with the Times. And sometimes I disagree. It's frustrating because the Times does have 
more uh, of a voice, a more powerful voice than everyone else. It is especially frustrating for me when a show that I really like doesn't get the... That they can destroy it. I don't know if they can destroy it, but they can hurt it, and especially for certain kinds of shows, the kinds of shows. Not every show needs critical support, but some shows can really benefit from it. And uh, what we were talking about with Caroline before some, is this is the case. Sometimes you need confidence of going in as an audience member saying, I, I heard this is good. I'm going to give it an extra bit of trust. And I... And critics can help with that. And so my, I don't, what frustrates me is when a show that I think is really good gets a kind of dismissive review. And Caroline was a good example of that. I mean, not to cut back to it, but Caroline wasn't a negative review. It was just kind of a, well, I guess this is good <laughs> review. You know, like I think, I remember there was a phrase that stuck in my craw from, from Ben's review, which was, he said it was, it might be too good to be good. And I thought, well, boy, that's that's a luxury. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this caviar is too delicious. I don't want it. Take this caviar away. Um, so, well, we were also were the year of the Republican National Convention. We were on the Do Not See list. Right. So, you know, it had a lot. And it of was the year of Wicked it. and Avenue Q and Boy from Oz. And so, it was, there was a lot of other buzz for other shows. And right, that were going to make big money. Right. Believed, and they did make big money. I mean, Wicked is the biggest money maker for Universal. I think of all of its products. Right, but there was, you know, it, it, unfortunately, they're, they're. But that it lost music to Avenue Q. That uh, we're like, come on. I, I love Avenue Q. I love Avenue Q, but that score of Caroline Caroline is, is, a, is a better score. But I do love the score for Avenue Q. I, will not, I love it I'm too, gonna, but yeah. Janine is an amazing composer. It's, it is. And, and the, again, well, I mean, I don't have to You say can't it. get that as a revival for the score, right? She, she can't no, ever get that no, one. No, she can't. Um, but she got one for Fun Home, so. <laughs> uh, you know. Oh, so she only gets one? No, but I, mean, you know, I think that Stephen around. Sondheim guy has a whole bunch of yeah, them. Yeah, Sondheim has a few. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, sometimes it comes around. People get things for the wrong thing, and then they make it up later. I know. And, you know, it's, a, it's yeah. silly. But, you know, Bernadette Peters won for Annie Get Your Gun, which no one particularly liked her in. And then she didn't get it for Gypsy because she'd just gotten it for Annie Got Your Gun. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things. It is politics. You know? it, is it is politics. Is. Um, and, and all the awards groups are the same people. Yeah. It's not even like pol politics makes it sound like it's it's calculating. It's it's fondness. It's it's industry. It's uh, it's they've put in their time. It's their turn. Well, I it's, felt that it, it was um, Cheetah's turn for, um, you know, the one that she just did. Was it the visit? Not the visitor. The the one who? that she just did on Broadway and she didn't get it. Whose turn? Uh, Cheetah Rivera. I thought it, oh. she, it was Cheetah's time. Oh, for the visit. No, but but she she already had she already had. I Cheetah. thought she didn't have a Tony. Yet. No, no, she had. She, she got one for Kiss Spider Woman and uh, for, oh, for, okay, because she okay, good. I'm glad she got one. Um, but yeah, you know, she's she's got yeah, she got plenty. Okay, okay, <laughs> she's, she's got hers. Uh, but uh, but yeah, sometimes there's sometimes there's that. But I mean, it's not it's not evil. It's just eh, when you're when you're like I think in in your year, for example, for Caroline. Um, I think ultimately, you know, I wrote a cover story on this at, at that time. I about, didn't read it. About, well, good. You shouldn't have. Um, actors should not read. I, I don't think actors should read assessments of them while they're doing a show. I think it, <laughs> I think it, no, I think, it's, I think it's dangerous. Yeah, because those words stay in your yeah, mind. I, I, they stay in your good, mind. And then, like right, then you're up. like, can I achieve those yeah. words again? Yeah, it's, uh, I think I, I fully understand when actors don't. But uh, I wrote a story that year about what a great race it was for Best Actress in a Musical. Oh, it was killer. Uh, and, uh, and I think that ultimately what it came down to there 
is one, they were giving it to Avenue Q and they wanted to give something to Wicked. So that helped Adina. And two, uh, you and Donna and Christian had all won Tony Awards already. And Adina had not. So if it comes down to that, if it comes down to, well, there are four women giving these amazing performances, and one of them doesn't have Tony yet. And Audrey was in that category, wasn't she? No, it was uh, it was uh, Stephanie DiBruzzo. Oh, Stephanie DiBruzzo, that's right. Um, and Stephanie was lovely in that show, but it wasn't a, a performance on the same um, plane. Uh, right. I mean, it demanded a lot less. Well, we not, can't. W- Wicked is a brand. I mean, it's the Wizard no, of Oz. but also those, I think that the four that I mentioned, I'm, this is no diss on Stephanie. She was very good in Avenue Q, but she was behind a puppet most of the time. It wasn't that kind of right. performance. Right, right, right. The right. other four were giving really distinctive, memorable, personal performance. And the awards split between people that mm-hmm. year. You know, I didn't Donna get one of them? And, uh, like, they, they really split. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but again, when it came down to... So there, there are those factors. I think that Adina won partly because people wanted to give something to Wicked and partly because she was the one who hadn't won. And she was going to become a huge, like, brand. I mean, she's, like, the highest-paid cabaret artist worldwide. Well, she's, and she's very talented and distinctive, yeah. and she yeah. contributed a, a great deal to that show. Absolutely. Um, this is the value. Even in, I think that's a great example. Wicked is a good example of how uh, having original stars with strong personal identities mm-hmm. as performers can really help a show in the long term, even if it's going to be a long-running show in which those people will be replaced many times over. Um, this, the, the stamp that Kristen and Adina put on those roles is still on those roles. And that helps define those roles for performers who step into it in the future. Mm -hmm. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply um so that's you know I know that nowadays a lot of when you're when you have that kind of show and you, you're really selling the logo, you don't want to pin too much on the star because then if the star leaves, right. exactly, you know, blah blah blah. That that happened with the producers, for example, right? Um, but but still having a having a, a strong original star, a, a, an original star with a strong personality, a one-off, yeah. Because um, no one's going to be exactly them anymore, but but there will be residual elements of their performance. Though I have to say that I feel like too many musicals have been writing the songs to have that at the end of them, and I can't stand it. But <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> like people like are composing that now, and it's maddening. Well, to me. and it's also brutal on women's bodies. Yeah, I, I, I mean the, the voices are not. That's not sustainable eight times a week, right? Um, and it's not pretty either. And it doesn't. It ends up getting unpretty, and yeah. then you have all these. These mean pirate videos of people missing those notes. Yes. And 
Of course, they're going to miss those notes sometimes because those notes are set impossibly high. Yes. Um, and and it goes back to, I mean, it started earlier. It's, I mean, it's a different sound. So it starts when you have people just sort of, I guess I would I would probably put the, the first one I can really think of like that is Melba Moore uh, doing those crazy high parts in Hair and then in Pearly. You know, she... But well, Loretta the, Devine said that they purposely sang everything high in Dreamgirls so they couldn't get fired and couldn't be replaceable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you had, you had another more, and then you started having things that were set mm-hmm. in that place where people had to do this mixed belt thing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, that Patti Lapone has to effortlessly do. Patti Lapone d- did in Navita Forever. And, right. And, uh, but Patti Lapone is... A war horse. A war horse. And, and then you put <laughs> other people in that position, um, and it will be... And, and then they did it in Dreamgirls, and then everyone does it uh, and now it's just written for that because all the pop divas do it but they do they have to do it they do it once in a studio you know right. do it eight times a week in real time right. you know it's 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 monstrous but now all the girls coming up I they, know they have to sing that way and I just don't even like the way it sounds I don't even want to hear it mm. sometimes it can be exciting give me a time it was exciting recently I saw the concert version of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat that they did um, a few weeks ago and uh <clears throat> Boy, they, they split up the narrator role between three awfully good singers. Really? Uh, yeah. And uh, that. They were just that, killing it. It was like they, vocal gymnastics. Yeah. Because, and also, there are three of them, so they didn't have to do, you know, they could just pull it out. And it was mm. only because the narrator, there's no content, so they mm. could just be show offy. And Ooh. boy, were they show offy. That sounds exciting. It was exciting. Yeah. Because yeah, you're just yeah. watching people do flips. Yeah. Right. But you can't do that eight shows a week. No, absolutely not. Right. Impossible. Although these women. Are, well, two two women and a guy. It was it was Alex Newell, uh, and uh, and it was also Jessica Vosk and uh, Eden Espinoza, and they are uh, very seasoned at doing that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, uh, but Jessica got one of the biggest applause points in the night for for this the second act opener to the Pharaoh's Dream thing, where she, uh, I, I mean, which is not. Show an obvious show-off song, but and it wasn't even the highest. It was just how full and how beautiful the voice sounded. Mm. So you know, now you do dance too, right? I don't really do. Oh, dance. so you didn't I mean, see black, white, and gray? I did not. Uh, I, I see some dance it. sometimes, and I do all the dance listings. Got it. Uh, but I don't review dance. We've never reviewed dance um, oh. in the magazine, even when we had Gia Corliss, who's at the times now used to be our dance editor at uh, Time Out, but um, she never reviewed dance. In part because the shows never last long enough. And so our magazine is really built around telling you what you should be doing next week, not about what you should have seen last week. So does it have to run more than one week? Yeah, basically. It has to run more Um, than one week or forget times out. We don't don't review music shows either for that reason because it's, it's... we would just be telling people what they should already have seen, and that's not helpful uh. to them. Um, we can see these shows, and then in the future we can write previews of them. Got it. But we can't review a show that is already done. Got it. Um, so, so dance. We, we dance was never on that model, um, and it isn't still. Uh, I like to see dance shows. I'm not um, as experienced at it, so I don't. I wouldn't want to write about it anyway. I don't. I trust my own expertise on that. I can. I can write about. Uh, musical theater dancing. Uh, I do know about that, but I I, I don't want to you know I don't want to pretend that I I'm uh, good enough as a Belletta main to. Now I'm going to tangent you yeah. back to constitutional language. <laughs> 
it's kind of something that I'm interested in. I didn't pursue it, so I can't tell you anything about it. <laughs> Are you uh, joking? No, I'm not joking. Um, I was working at the time. There's this wonderful professor at Harvard. I think she's still there named uh, Elaine Scarry. And she was very interested in government, and she would have been the one I was working on there. I ended up doing other coursework with her, and she wrote an amazing book on on pain, which I recommend to people. Uh, but um, it's uh, it's called the body in pain. But uh, no, I didn't end up going down that route, so I don't. But do you? Uh, I mean, it sounds like it's something that's of interest to you. So it's like you know this constitutional convention. I mean, everybody's saying we can't have a constitutional convention, but then we have the fact that in 15 years the majority of Americans will live in the South, and you will still have the Senate as it is with you know it's currently you know leaning a certain way, mm -hmm. and the only way to alter that is with a constitutional convention that would change the balance of powers of the Senate, which was really based on slaveholding states. Right. So, like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, it's complicated. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> everything that, that, is. No, that's a different question because I, I think that what I was pursuing, what I was talking about before, was really much more of an academic thing. It was be studying the language and the way that these things are written, not, not the content, which is what got this it. was supposed to be. Right? Got it, got it, um, the, uh, You mean what words meant yes, at the time? right, and, and how they are used to shape uh, concepts. Uh, but in this case, I think the challenges of a constitutional convention are obviously that, people, that, that in order to make constitutional change, you have to have massive majorities. Um, and a lot of these places that would have to vote for it have a vested interest in the existing system. And so mm. getting above that threshold is just on a practical level extremely difficult. And so what, I, I mean, it's nice to dream about that, but uh, on a practical basis, these small states that have this disproportionate power um, are not going to be eager to give that up. Correct. And unfortunately, the system as, is, as it is uh, requires them. To, to do that. And so that is going to be a, a major structural impediment. What we can do and hope for is we can hope that there are long enough demographic and cultural shifts in some of these places that are currently considered strongly red, uh, that these will be more in play than we think. For example, Texas is changing. Georgia is changing. Yeah, because all these people are moving to the South. Yeah. But the Senate's going to still be the Senate. Well, right. <laughs> we're going to um, have this huge influx of population in the South that are people who are blue, which is going to flip. The, the South is going to flip blue. But some of it. Not, not Mississippi. Uh, you know, well, not, Alabama and Mississippi. Right. We but, could but, just, but can we Georgia, cut those out? But Georgia, yes. And, uh, uh, and, and Texas, possibly. Like these, the, those places. And those are big prizes in terms of the Electoral College. Those are they're very vote-rich places. Um, and ultimately, if those places, we win those places and we continue not to win North and South Dakota, then that, that's good for us. Um, the, you know, uh, it'll, it'll be hard in the Senate, but it'll be fine for us in the Electoral College. The, I, 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 I think that that's what we can hope for. Meanwhile, we need to make sure that we present a consolidated front. And, and that we just, we aren't able we to We have that. a hard time doing that because a lot of the insurgent part of our, of our side uh, is training a lot of its fire on, our, on other people on our side. Because they know they can't fire on the other side. The other side doesn't care, isn't listening. <laughs> you know? so, so and they're there's aiming. fire. We gotta get yeah. The fire's got to go somewhere. The fire has to go somewhere. And they believe 
um, or they minimize the difference, in my opinion. They, they uh, understate the differences that are major differences between even the people they dismiss as uh, centrists and corporatists, uh, uh, you know, uh, neoliberals on, on our side. There is a, an enormous gulf between that and the current administration. Um, there just is. And, and that gulf is unfortunately minimized in some of the rhetoric. And then that becomes dangerous in the long term because those people, when they do not, when their candidate does not get the nomination, feel disenfranchised, feel disillusioned, feel cynical, do not show up to vote. Uh, and and then our side loses in crucial tight places that where we could really use their support. And so what we need to do is remember, take a long view, step back, and remember who our allies are. Yeah, that's just not the nature. I mean, you know, I made a feature film this year. It's a sociopolitical horror film called Red Pill. Mm. And it's essentially about that. It's about how one side, you know, they think they're the smartest. They think they're the no, they've got the ideas, but they can't consolidate to be a force. Mm -hmm. And the other side is like, you know, we don't agree about a lot of stuff. But we agree that they're bad. (laughs) The other side side has easier messaging. Easier messaging, um, and, and so it allows them to be far more effective and focused. It appeals to people. And this is one of the things, it's a paradox, It's it, because I think one of the things that Hillary Clinton ran into trouble with in 2016 is people thought that she was being dishonest. I think the opposite was true. I think that her tendency was to explain too much, to get into too much nuance and detail. Mm. And she would keep talking, and she would qualify her opinions, and she would keep it. And... And that impulse read the opposite ways because people think, oh, well, well, she's trying to be evasive. She's saying too much. You know, like so when you don't have a clear message, people think that you're talking around something. In fact, she was talking very much more specifically about mm-hmm. it. And giving you details that most people, that's details. too much work. Right. Just can't you say it plain? Right. Just say it plain. And then people have, you know, we have a natural anti-intellectual sort of, not only say natural, we have a general anti-intellectual bent in the country and in the world in the world and when you hear someone talking too much there's a there's a way in which that sounds like they're trying to talk around it they're trying to trick you but we we um, also can't forget about the fact that we are also in the era where um you know surveillance capitalism and google and facebook you know, targeting people with very specific messaging oh, sure. that's going to control how they see things. For sure. Uh, you know, we don't even know what what people are being see- what what people are seeing. Like you and I, we don't we get the same, a different feed, right? <laughs> uh, and 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 it's worse than that because the feed that we get is specifically designed to reinforce what we already think and to keep us online, and to keep us there, keep us irritated and online, and to keep us thinking, to keep telling us what we already know. Or what we think we know. Or whatever's going to keep us irritated enough that we stay online and repost and keep looking and keep reposting. And retreat farther and farther into our own bubble worlds. And mm-hmm. then ever so often that bubble will burst and we'll be so surprised. We'll say, oh my God, I, I, everyone that I know loves Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Who just dropped out on this day that we are recording. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, but it, it can be really, and this is one... This is, a, this is one thing that I think we really got into trouble with the last time around, which is that in real life, uh, Hillary Clinton basically cinched the nomination uh, on Super Tuesday in the last primary. Mathematically, there was no chance that Sanders was ever going to be the nominee. But the media continued, because they have to make a story out of it for another five months, they continued to play it like it was a real horse race. Mm. And the Sanders people and the Sanders... Uh, 
camp continued to run as though it were. And, and, it, and it was, I mean, theoretically, it could have been a miracle and he could have won 80% of the vote in the remaining states and that would have divided enough for him to get a majority of the delegates. But it was not, no one, everyone knew, everyone in the real world knew that that wasn't going to happen, except the Sanders side in that election kept the illusion alive. And there were all these articles that were written in the Sanders press, and they would all just share them with each other on Facebook. And it would be like, he's still going to win. He still has a chance. Here's how. Um, and, uh, and so when it didn't happen, there was a, because that's all they had been reading, there was a deep sense of disappointment, disillusionment, cynicism, surprise. And that's from your feed. Now, let me tell you, from my feed, <laughs> from my feed, this was, I'm not saying from my feed, but my sense of what happened that time was that Sanders and 45 were talking the same talk. Mm. Whether that talk was sincere or not, they were talking the same talk. Populous. And so they were appealing to, both were appealing to a populace. Mm -hmm. And I think people were ignoring those people, that that, that, they, that that people had a strong sway, and they were ignoring the fact that those people were looking for someone and that if Sanders didn't wasn't the nominee... He, they were going to go the way they went. And so for me, from my perspective, I, I know people say he pushed her to, to change her views, but I really was disappointed that he didn't take it all the way to the convention and just force it even more. That was my disappointment. And I felt, I, first of all, I knew neither of them were going to win. <laughs> I, I was clear that neither of them were going to win, but I felt he should have pushed it even further. And that, she was believing her own hype, not going to certain states. Like it was like, no, you do not, you're not understanding this populist thing that the current president was appealing to and that was speaking to the same audience that he was there and they were taken for granted. It's very easy in retrospect. I think a lot of people did expect Clinton to win. Most people did expect Clinton yeah, to win. I wasn't I think, one of those people. No, I'll tell you, no. Uh, well, okay, I will say, I think in, in, in a way maybe the generalized expectation that Clinton was certainly going to win is what cost Clinton is the biggest factor well, because it, it depressed voting. And also it, it changed people's decision-making like Comey would, I don't, I really don't think would have released that letter. If he didn't he not, think she was going to win. If he, had he not thought that she was going to win. I think that he didn't want she. everyone knew she was going to win anyway. And he didn't want afterwards for people to say, you suppressed this letter. And, and, and the media, everyone thought that she was going to win anyway. So they might as well hit the email thing. And Sanders people were like, he's, she's going to win anyway. We might as well push our position as far as we can. Everyone thought that she was going to win. And she thought that she was going to win. There was so no she way was she was ever going to win well, because women are more hated in this country than black people. Black <laughs> people, you know, we got a black president before we got a woman we're still mm -hmm. not ready for a woman president we because women hate women there we are not ready for a woman there there was i was clear there was no way a woman was going to win and people looked at me with contempt like i had two heads it was like no where there's too much misogyny in america i think that's sadly true but i will say i will say this and this is a bit uh everyone i knew thought that clinton was going to win i you know me well, no, I mean, <laughs> almost your everyone, circle, almost everyone. I, I had no circle because I didn't believe it. Uh, I will say this. I did not on the day of the election. I did not think that Clinton was going to win. Uh, be, and I'll tell you when you knew this is a larger. All right. Let's see if I can articulate this right. The, to, the moment that I knew or in my heart, like I still thought, well, we, we have a chance and we did have a chance, you know, uh, but the moment that in my heart my secret heart, I knew 
that we were not going to win was the night before the election because I was in bed and here I found myself um, gloating in advance <laughs> about the election. Ooh. I was fantasizing about rubbing it in to all those stupid, terrible people who supported uh, Donald Trump and what fools they were going to look like and how disastrous it was going to be for the Republicans and how satisfying it would be to say, look, you idiots, look what just happened. America, America won. Um, and, and I felt that, that hatred mm. in my heart. Uh, and, I, and I knew at that moment... We can't win. Uh, because I'm a, I'm a good barometer of, that's why I guess Oscars well. I'm a good barometer of what people are feeling. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of that I will drink your tears feeling going around on our side. And the other side really doesn't like that. Mm. Um, and you're never going to win with that kind of hatred. You're not. Because they sense that. No one likes being thought of as an idiot. No one likes being dismissed. Uh, no one likes uh, being condescended to. And our side was doing a lot of that. And we still are. And we have to find ways, as hard as it is, because people who support that man are so... I can't... I, like, it takes so much for me not to be angry with them all the time. Um, because to me, it seems so obvious. But... Mm. But a lot of people are not paying this much attention. Or the, the media that they're getting is telling them a very different story. Mm -hmm. and, and they're trying to do the best they can. I mean, there's some of them who really are just terrible people, of course. But um, many of them are not. Many of them are, many of them, you know, are responding to elements of his message that, res that resonate with them. And we have to reach those people. We have to appeal to those people. We have to forgive those people for their mistakes. We have to allow them. We have to give them the space and the face to walk it back. We have to get, we can't, if someone makes a mistake and then realizes or comes to a different understanding, we have to create an open space to welcome them and not just say you are forever damned for your mistake or for your bad way of thinking that you used to have. Um, I think very differently today than I did when I was a child. I, I know that I think very differently today in some ways than I did 10 years ago. Uh, things evolve, conversations evolve, our understandings evolve. And I think we need to have a more loving understanding of that. I'm not saying we shouldn't fight. I'm not saying, I'm saying that, I guess I'm saying we have to, we have to fight in a more loving way. <laughs> and I'm going to play devil's advocate as we wrap up right now and say that it's so much deeper than that. There's so <laughs> many more people who are um, disenfranchised, whose lives are not in any way altered by who is in the White House, who are struggling and who are just like, it can't lives get are any worse. It, 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 it's not I just altered. don't know it. I, I'm going to say their lives aren't altered. And it's like, you know what? Now you get to feel a little bit of what I'm feeling. Um, I don't, you know, I don't say this lightly, but I, I don't, I, I, I see not only another eight years, but I think the next question will be when are the term limits ended <laughs> and uh, how many more years will we have the current administration? 
Thank you, Adam Feldman, for having this conversation with me. Thank you for having me. me We'll have to do this off-platform. I enjoy you. You're smart. I don't meet very many smart people (laughs) that I can actually talk with. You are listening to Tanya Pinkins on You Can't Say That. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can. I'm Tanya Pinkins. This is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Derek Gunther, music by Anthony Norman, available wherever you get your podcasts. And visit me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and let me know what you'd like to hear me talk about. For more information, visit bpn.fm forward slash YCST. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.